See, here's the thing. Whoever you were outside, once you cross the threshold of a rink, you are a skater. There's no big eyes and little U's. We're all in here, and we have an equal right to come in and leave our cares and worries and concerns at the door and come in and address the child within. It was beyond magical, and you know what? It, it was the, not only the birthplace of roller disco, it's also where some people go to the Himalayan mountains to, you know, seek peace and serenity. I found it right at Empire. <laughs> hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Curtis Rouser. In 1941, Brooklyn's Empire Roller Dome opened its doors for the first time, and soon it became the epicenter of the city's roller disco scene. The Roller Dome attracted skaters from across New York. It kept inner-city kids engaged and off the streets and also attracted celebrities like Cher. Now, even though the space has been closed since 2007, it's clear that the spirit of the Empire Roller Disco lives on. Like in the City Reliquary, a community museum in Williamsburg where used rental skate hangs from the ceiling. Recently on the City Reliquary's podcast, Undiscarded, host Tania Muhammad spoke with Eric Austin about this old skate and the significance of the Empire Roller Disco. Eric is a native New Yorker and well-known pioneer in the world of roller skating. Today, we're sharing an excerpt of that conversation. Uh, what kind of skate is this, Eric? This is a rental skate. Mm. And uh, Sursa, uh, I would say, the early 2000s, it, around that time period. And uh, it's seen a lot of use. And the reason why I know it's newer, the plate is orange, and uh, the type of boot that it has, back in the day, they didn't, it didn't look like that. It was a lot... Uh, <laughs> it's a newer design. It's a huh? newer design, absolutely. And uh, the color is it's light brown. We call them brownies or some people say hush puppies. They have different names for them, but if you say brownies, they know you're talking about roller skates. Yeah, well, this brownie has been through it. You can see oh, all yeah. the splotches, you can see some scratches and scuffing. A lot of people had fun with these skates. Oh, yeah. So what are we looking at here? Well, what we're looking at is someone's entry into a situation that they have no clue what they're about to be exposed to because when you put on a rental and you stand up on them, there are 12 independent actions taking place under your feet. And you're immediately filled with a feeling of inadequacy because you have to control. It's like being on a wild colt, you know? <laughs> and so what we're looking at is the beginning of someone's journey. Now, some people, they take it on as a challenge. Some people get frightened and they never take another step further. Oh, they, they don't leave the carpet. They stay, they, they put them on, stand up, sit down, take them off. They have other people that come in and they not only accept the challenge, they start to become fascinated by it and they, they get hooked and they become lifetime skaters like myself. Empire Roller Drone, that's the original name. So my mother took me there the day before my fourth birthday, November 13th, 1966. And 1966. 1966. And mm -hmm. uh, they had organ music there. And you know, the biggest memory that I took from it was everybody was moving so fast. People say, you remember that? Clearly. And so my mother noticed I was fascinated. And she took me every month. And as I got a little older, I started going every Saturday. And then by the time I was 10 years old, you know, she let me get on the bus and go with my older sister and my younger sister. And then my older sister didn't want to go anymore. So I said, I'll tell you what, 
I won't tell mom, you can go wherever you want. I'll go skating and meet you here when I'm done. And so every Saturday, I would go by myself to Empire Rollerdrome, and I would have the time of my life each and every Saturday. And it was massive, right? It was yes. really big, about 36,000 square feet. Kind of describe for me what sort of people used to be coming to roller skate. Well, in the beginning, you have several distinct groups of people that come. First, you have families. So it's kids and parents bringing their kids. So then the next group is teenagers, the ones where you may not be old enough to drive, but you can go to the skating rink with your friends and be in your age group. And you know what happens? Uh, they create their own identity during that time. So then the next group of people was the adults. And those were the ones that probably came to what I call a pipeline, child skater, spend your teen years in there and you really love it. And when you get old enough, you get a car. What's the first place you go? The skating rink. And they actually, they had uh, uh, groups there that would demonstrate skating. And their floor guards had to meet a certain standard. They go skate guards, floor guards, interchangeable term. What is a skate guard? A skate guard is a person, generally they wear a black and white striped shirt with a whistle that keeps the, like a, like a traffic cop. You keep the floor flowing, you look for dangers. If someone happens to fall or whatever, you make sure they don't get, you know, run over. And you generally help to create an environment of people continue to move. And so you don't have tra traffic jams. We're in Brooklyn, the double park capital of the world. And you know how that impedes traffic, same yeah. thing. And so they would kind of perform, so to speak, for the people. And it, it gave you something to shoot for. Some parents can't skate and they're bringing their kids because it's something the kids want to do and they watch. And then some parents try to participate with their kids and they're scuffling and trying because they never really... Roller skating is a skill. Skills are learned. You have to invest time and effort and energy and into uh, mastering that skill. I've learned that motivation is internal, but inspiration is external. And children do what they see. Were they people coming from other neighborhoods or was it mainly a Crown Heights scene? Did you see, you know people from other communities. So the atmosphere was, there were people from all over because they, they had never seen anything like Empire. Empire was the first of its kind, but because they went to Empire, then other neighborhoods started having their version of a rink, but none of them had the spirit, the visual, the, the feel, the sound, the energy, the vibe that you got at Empire. It was a singular experience. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that time? Uh, what came out that really changed skating forever, it, it kind of jet-fueled it, was disco. Bill Butler, who was acknowledged as the godfather of roller disco, he coined the term uh, disco on wheels, and, that's the, and the term roller disco was formed. And uh, that's why they call Empire the birthplace of roller disco, because Bill, when he came to New York, he came to New York to see New York, but specifically to skate in Empire. And he came into Empire and he developed a style called the jamming technique. And you had to come to Empire to see Bill be Bill. He was like one of one. It was like he was dropped from the future here. Yeah, I see he has a couple of nicknames he's famous for. Brother Bounce, yeah. Mr. Charisma, uh, uh, the King, of course, Grandfather of uh, Roller Disco. Godfather of Roller Disco. <laughs> God. Godfather of Roller Disco. That's yeah. right, let's get it right now. Godfather, and, there you go. With all due respect, Godfather of Roller <laughs> Disco. And, and see, what I could attest to is hearing about Bill and seeing him as a child, but meeting him formally 
in the summer of 1979 as someone who has spent a year doing the things that I saw people that unbeknownst to me were part of his troupe. He had a, uh, created a, a troupe called the um, uh, Creative Dance Skate, right? And uh, he trained them. He, you know, he gave them choreographed moves. He gave them the technique and they demonstrated it and exhibited it. And when they were in rinks, we were influenced by them. Remember, I said, children do what they see. I didn't know mm. I was executing a, a form of the technique. I was just emulating what I saw. I didn't know all the nuances and the technicalities and the names of the moves. I just know it looked cool. Mm. So, yeah. So I got to see Bill from a child's eye and then I got to walk side by side with him for a period of time. Uh, we would never be equals because he's the Godfather, Roll Disco, and all those other names were well-earned. Those other nicknames, they call him by. How old were you around then? Well, that summer, I was 16, going to 17, in the summer of 1979. I feel like I recall seeing a video talking about civil rights and roller skating. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'd like to say this. My younger sister was born July 31st, 1964. The Voting Rights Act was enacted. It was activated in August of 1965. No one in my immediate family was born with all their rights. Wow. So do I understand where skating stands in the civil rights spectrum or, you know, anything along that. Roller skating was part of the civil rights movement before Rosa Parks. In 1952, in a rink called the Arcadia in Detroit, they built a rink in the, air quote, hood, but they didn't allow blacks to go there. And you know what they did? They picketed. They went through the dogs and the water hoses, getting arrested, heads busted open. And then the owner understood they were affecting another color, green, his money. <laughs> so you know what he did? He acquiesced and said, oh. and he said, you know what? I'll give you guys Sunday night. Why did he give Sunday night? Because the rink was closed. Everybody's home getting ready for work. You guys could have Sunday night. And it had a title called Black Night. Black I... Culture Night, Soul <laughs> Night, R&B. At that time, I don't think it had any title. Mm -hmm. They probably didn't even advertise. They were letting blacks in there. Mm -hmm. But what happened was they came out in such large numbers with such energy and zest and creativity and consistency within a year, there were six black knights and one white one. I mean, there's no other way to say it because, you know, and it's no, it's no knock on anybody. Most people want to be around people that look like them and sound like them and think like them. So it's okay. It's, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about what happens to you. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. The methods that they took to suppress what others were doing comes from lack. It's like, if you get some, it's less for me. No, it's enough for everybody. We can coexist. We can get along. We never tell them they can't come in the sessions we have. Where all, like what you said, Empire was a was a, a melting pot of welcoming wagon, all races, all. And there's, there's a way that we conduct ourselves in the ring. See, here's the thing. Wherever you were outside, once you cross the threshold of a ring, you are a skater. There's no big eyes and little U's. We're all in there, and we have an equal right to come in and leave our cares and worries and concerns at the door and come in and address the child within. It was beyond magical. And you know what? It, it was the, not only the birthplace of roller disco, it's also where some people go to the Himalayan mountains to, you know, seek peace and serenity. I found it right at Empire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard when um, Empire shut down, there were protests. There were people, I saw this documentary, there were people crying outside. 
people. We lost like, our home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some people, it was more emotional than losing a family member because of what it meant. Let me let me give you, let me, let me share this with you. My mother. She was born in 1937, right? In 1941, the year of Empire's opening, she was approaching her fourth birthday. My mother's mother died when she was two and a half. And back then, the father didn't raise children. Her brother was months old. They sent the children to the oldest female relative that was stable that could raise the kids. So her youngest sister, my aunt, her name's Aunt Babe, she's my great aunt, raised my mother. So she was approaching her fourth birthday. So she wanted to do something special for her. And she lived a few blocks from Ebbets Field. She was going to take her to see, well, you can't see a game in November. Mm-hmm. So they had this rink across the street, Empire. She went over there. Black woman going over to Empire, 1941. This was 14 years before Rosa Parks. And she inquired about, do you do anything for families here? And they were like, you know, we have family sessions or whatever. She said, I'd like to bring my grandniece. Her mother passed, and I want to do something special for her for her birthday. She said, her mother passed. She'll be how old for? They gave her complimentary passes. My mother went to Empire for her fourth birthday. She took me on my birthday, so I went for my fourth birthday. My son will be 34 July of this year. He's been married March 28th will be Eight years, my granddaughter will be seven years old, June 12th. Here's what I'm going to share with you. I took him to Empire for his fourth birthday. My daughters came later. They're born 10 months apart, February 10th and December 12th, 2003. In February of 2007, had a party for my daughter, and both of them were there. Empire closed April of 2007. Wow. To listen to the full episode, click the link in our show notes or visit cityreliquary.org. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.